Hey everybody, it's Friday. I'm Saturn Dave, and I've got an empty couch here, but uh, we've got Cardboard Pat uh, to join us, and uh, we'll, everybody will be helping out doing voiceover for Pat. Um, I'm getting a bunch of errors from YouTube, is what I was saying. YouTube is yelling at me, barking at me about the stream bitrate, and even though it says I have an excellent connection, so who knows? <laughs> who knows? If, uh, if the stream gets borked, I apologize. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm flying solo wing this <laughs> this week, pun intended. And I've got who do I who do I have in the Discord chat right now? I think we got Knight of Dragon and uh, Doctor Emerald Nova. Uh, yeah, no one important. Hanging out. <laughs> no one important except for uh, two of our Patreon supporters. I would say you guys are pretty important. Um, let's see here. Okay, so. We don't have a lot of uh, news this week. It's been a slow news week, and also uh, Pat is out of town, so we're just going to be kind of flying by the seat of our pants and shooting the shit about Saturn, and, and hopefully folks share the stream. Um, that would I mean, be... if you want, we could just, like, read through the press kit. That's, if you really yeah, wanted that actually is power. kind of... Yeah, that was, like, the that was the general plan, is um, we have a couple of posts that are related to, like, game history preservation, so I figured we would just roll with that you know and and go through and kind of check stuff out and talk about our thoughts about it and then i did actually have um i did actually have a couple of items that i was gonna um maybe bring out for show and tell um just so uh just so i had some extra content to throw at you guys but more than anything are, oh go ahead are, are we doing home saturn network again Home Saturn Network. Uh, well, none of this stuff is for sale, but <laughs> yeah, no, I can demo it for you. No, yeah, um, Pat's home Home Saturn Network. That was a that was a blast. I don't think that I could top that, but uh, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I don't have any pre-fund printers though to show you guys. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, we last show, you know, we capped it off talking about the the Hitachi Wide Boy tv there so um since then we've really only had two articles one that i snapped up today uh regarding an earlier series of videos uh that i posted earlier in the week so um but yeah the big the big kind of the big story here is uh, that peter malik one of our fellow shiros he reached out to us in a private message months ago and he was like oh guess what i just bought on ebay and i think i think he got it for like around 500 bucks or something like that was this e3 sega saturn press kit from 1995 and uh <clears throat> this is uh I, I would say that some of these materials are available here and there on the internet um not all together like this not in a cohesive package and i mean there are other press kits out there i'm sure in people's collections but peter wanted to buy this just so that he could take pictures of it and scan it and preserve it for the community to enjoy so um as somebody who's like all about game history preservation and, and i'm kind of more of a nut of game history than even playing games at this point um i really appreciate peter's efforts to do this and uh yeah, um, so I was just going to take you guys through it and, and show you like what it consisted of. Um, essentially, you had each... Uh, so E3 1995 was the first E3, 
Um, it was the infamous E3 where Sega rushed the Saturn's launch and also Sony kind of, uh, you know, put in their comment of 299 to kind of shut them down. And, and that ended up being the big news there is that Sony undercut Sega by like 100 bucks on the price. Um, but it also was um, an E3 that was only open to the press. So this was back before, uh, you know, general public could attend. And I don't know if all of the members of the press, but many members of the press were given this this press kit, consisting of a soft briefcase, um, a head for Saturn poster, as well as the E3 highlights VHS cassette. Um, you had this uh, this brochure, this like pamphlet brochure, um, and a lot of the visual design language is um, matching that of the Sega Saturn Choice Cuts CD that a lot of people will be. Uh, familiar with if they happen to have a copy of that um oh and, oh and apparently it actually came with a choice cuts demo disc i thought peter had just put that there but that's cool so members of the press were able to play a demo if they were if they went out and bought a, a saturn i guess or if they were like given a saturn at whatever agency they worked for um you had a uh, here's a press badge from e3 that's pretty cool. It's got a PlayStation sticker on it, though. That's kind of funny. Um, and then, of course, you had uh, you had a binder here, um, itemized with sections for Sega Saturn, Genesis 32X, uh, Sega CD. Uh, you had uh, let's see, Game Gear. You had Pico, I guess, in the back. Um, so, but Saturn was front and center, and the whole binder was you know branded with Sega Saturn. So that's cool. Um, and what this consisted of is, um, according to the table of contents, it is too small for me to read. So I'm just going to scroll down and we'll go line by line. Are you guys, uh, do you guys have any thoughts on this? Have you guys seen these on eBay or was this like uh, new? I, I, on eBay? No. Um, I'm pretty sure the choice cuts has been ripped at some point. I don't know if I oh, yeah. have it loaded up. I don't doubt it. Yeah, I don't doubt it. it it's pretty common. Um, but yeah, you know, I've, I've seen, I think I've seen one other press kit like this show up on eBay at one point. Um, and you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody in the community that we know has it or has part of it. Um, it's pretty cool that Peter was able to snag this, um, cause you know, it's only going to become more rare. So, I mean, I think that is well worth it. And, um, the, the, you know, the first, so the first, uh, this is interesting. The, the, one of the first documents talks about consumer demand. Um, and I mean, okay, you got you to gotta maintain this uh, perspective of, okay, they're talking to, they're talking to press, you know, members of the press. And it's kind of like the, this whole press kit, I think is classic because um, I don't know if Sony did anything like this, but Sega had so much documentation. They had so many white pages just kind of like telling the press how to think you know or they're like this is how you should think about uh about what the set what the saturn is going to be it's like rather than letting folks kind of decide for themselves they're like telling you where consumer demand is you know um so that's what i was going to ask about is the way they're written are you supposed to like read that off verbatim if you're like a, a tech tv announcer or something well no i i would imagine that if you were a dutiful, uh, you know, press agent, you, you were somebody, who, a staff writer for a magazine or maybe a website back then, that was pretty early days for websites. But I imagine that if you, uh, you know, were the kind of writer who 
scrubbed through this kind of stuff thoroughly you would take quotes from here here and there or you would use this to inform your article on like where sega was going with their uh with their product line and stuff like that so, some of the white page when i when i and we'll get to that when when we read the white pages a lot of it sounds like it's almost written with like stockholders in mind you know or like uh you know uh investors in mind you know because it i mean that's that's what this trade show is for isn't it like originally it's supposed to be for um yeah actually shareholders yeah yeah Uh, well ces definitely was and of course you had um well i i think that a lot of shareholders would have attended e3 or been invited to that first e3 but again these press kits i think were given mostly to members of the press so honestly i can't i can't exactly without talking to like tom kalinsky or uh which we have but we didn't have time to really talk about this uh we had very limited time i'd have to talk to somebody to be able to speak to it more knowledgeably but um essentially what's so interesting and this is a four-page document okay so i mean i just basically uh, included the cover page so you guys could take a look at at it and see what it consists of let me click it and see if i can get through okay yeah so it's like a four-page document just basically talking about the current state of consumer demand. Um, and again, like this is a time period in gaming where I, I have to admit I'm incredibly nostalgic, not just because I grew up in it and have memories of that, but because I don't think there was a time in history where the game industry was more volatile, you know, um, where it was more of like a, a dog pile, you know, of like... Everybody jump in there and and see you know see who you know comes out with the with the bacon or whatever you know it was it was literally like one of those situations where you know companies were game game developers game developing houses were still small they were taking a lot of risks Sega was doing a lot of risky stuff um, you know a lot of new technologies were being developed and a lot of like jargon was being thrown around that. You know, it was it was a lot of hype. Nowadays, of course, there's a lot. It, the game industry has been demystified. Um, most game consoles are basically glorified computers, um, and we pretty much know what they're capable of. And we've got people like John Linneman doing breakdowns of the performance and stuff like that. And it's like with the internet, nothing's really you know everything kind of gets demystified by some YouTuber or something like that. But uh, back then, it was like. Companies could really get away with this, like creating hype that uh, didn't necessarily, you know, live up to itself, you know, and you'd get game magazines basically saying like, you've heard the hype or you've heard the news. Now let's see, you know, where the chips fall, you know, in terms of like, you know, how good Saturn is. Uh, I have several magazines that use that kind of uh, rhetoric. But anyway, um, I seem to remember uh, for the PlayStation 2 or something. Uh, a lot of uh, pre-rendered stuff that got passed off as, um, you know, the that generations of graphics. And then, uh, you know, the, the the marketing kind of got uh, mm-hmm. a, a lot more optimistic than the actual gameplay you, you, you'd see. Absolutely. I mean, you know, this was like, it, first of all, you had games press uh, bagging on 2D games. If it was a 2D game, it was like, forget it almost overnight you know virtual fighter comes out in the arcade people see polygons in motion and stuff like that interactive polygons in motion and 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 uh, i guess arguably argonaut and and nintendo got kicked got the ball rolling with Star Fox, you know on a home console but it's like people got a taste for 3d polygons and then it was like overnight just the 
the reception for 2D games was just so lukewarm. And, and it almost would be like they would uh, punish games in reviews just for being 2D, you know? So it was like a lot of these, a lot of these developers had to kind of like learn overnight how to make 3D games. And it's like everybody was new to it and there was n definitely no rules, you know? <laughs> it's like people were coming at it from different perspectives, using different techniques to create 3D graphics and there weren't any rules. So it was just like, let's see who does it best first, you know? Um, and, uh, and yeah, and you, you, you know, Nintendo, they just kind of sat out and, and continue to work in private. Um, and then they just use the power of their name and the ultra 64 thing, you know, to kind of like create that kind of hype. Um, but yeah, no, this is a crazy time and it was a really crazy time in gaming and there were so many players. Um, the market could obviously couldn't sustain that for, for that long, but there were so many players. Anyway, coming back to this whole consumer demand thing. I just wanted to say that I think it's funny um, that, you know, Sega is talking like they know what the consumer demand is, and then they turn around and they launch a system early. I think, first of all, Tom Kalinske knew that that's not... The, the consumer demand was, give us good support for the consoles that we already bought, you know, like 32X, for, for example, if you're going to do that. And then also... Release the Saturn when you said you were going to, you know, instead of pulling this stuff. You know, of course, Tom did not want to do that. He didn't want to launch the Saturn early, but um, but he was his hands were forced. So, but you had this interesting. So Whose decision was that? Well, Sega. It was a uh, Hayao Nakayama uh, from Sega of Japan. They just basically said, "You don't have a choice. This is not your." And because that's the thing, at, at that point, at the at the point that the Saturn came out and and was doing so well in japan the power kind of shifted back to sega of japan and they said okay well you know genesis didn't do or mega drive didn't do well here at all you know compared to nintendo and um you know you may have done great at winning the market in um, in the u.s but you did it um at the expense of running us into a deficit like a, a pretty bad deficit um and which was a part of Tom Kalinske's plan all along. You know, it was a part of his plan to win over the market, uh, get a huge install base, and then work from there. And you'd work back that deficit. But that was just not jiving with the with the Japanese, uh, you know, business axiom. So basically, they kind of took over control and they said, "No, you're gonna you're gonna launch this early so that we can get it out ahead of PlayStation." But that did. It, it did more to upset folks, uh, developers, and and you know, and stores, than it did to and and consumers were just like, oh yeah, okay, it's out, but we didn't even know about it. So, I mean, again, this is uh, that's another weird thing. It's like when they're making that announcement at E3, they're announcing it to the press. So then the press has to turn around and put it in a magazine that's not gonna, you know, it's not gonna issue for another month, you know. So it's like the, the public doesn't find out about it until <laughs> far after the fact. Um, they talk about their astronomical marketing. Astronomical. That is a word, yeah? Okay, it just doesn't roll off the tongue. $50 million budget, $30 million of which they spent on that commercial that, uh, uh, that Goodby and Silverstein did. Um, so they had like a $50, $50 million advertising budget. And they use like 30 million of it to create that theater of the eye campaign, uh, which they talk about here and they talk about the printed stuff. It's out there. You guys have any thoughts on the advertising for Saturn? 
I mean, I, I actually didn't see any advertising for Saturn at the time that it was advertising. I wasn't aware of the Saturn until well after the fact. Yeah, um, me too. Me too. So <laughs> I they, totally. They, they didn't do a very good job at marketing it because yeah. it's not like I didn't have TV. Yeah. Uh, Everybody watching, by the way, we're Saturn fans, okay? We love the Saturn, but that doesn't mean that we... Uh, that we're not prag pragmatists we're not we're realistic about like how much they they messed up you know that doesn't you know I, I hate it when people say like when they hear me going hard on saturn you know they're like oh what kind of saturn fan are you and i'm just like i'm just being realistic you know i mean we we, one. we grew up <laughs> we grew up in that time period we were going to high school and or i don't know i guess you're a little younger than i am uh but either way it's like uh i didn't hear about the saturn until 96 and I mean, it came out in Japan in 94, so, you know. Yeah, so uh, the first time I heard of a Sega Saturn, like, uh, it was like the one guy in the neighborhood that owned one, and he literally only played football games. So uh, I think this would have been like 98 or something like that. So he was already a little bit behind. Yeah. And uh, I bought my Dreamcast at like uh, either 99 or 2000 or something like that before Sonic Adventure 2 came out, but after Sonic Adventure 1. Huh. Um, yeah, I, I, I have to admit, I didn't know a single person who owned a Saturn until after it was discontinued. I would say, um, there was a guy, so I was, I was going to this regional technical Institute and I was doing like 3d studio max and Maya, like 3d design and stuff. And this guy who I sat next to in the class, he was, he, he was, uh, he was like a Photoshop guy. And he was getting an Xbox. This is what I remember is he was so hyped for uh, buying a new Xbox. So that's the timeline is the Xbox was just about to come out and he was going to like wait in line for it and everything. And he let me borrow a bunch of his Saturn games because he didn't care uh, that much anymore about it, about his Saturn. So he let me borrow like Sonic R, which I thought was complete ass when I when I first played it. And now, of course, my tune has changed. Like, I love that game, but I thought it was complete ass when I played it. And uh yeah, he let me borrow a couple. Into liking it. I'm sorry. You've tricked yourself into liking it. Those controls are terrible. They that's debatable. They they it, you're playing it wrong. <laughs> that's all I can say. No, you're fr from a from a from a you know glance or you know passing observer. I would say that the controls do appear to be terrible. Um, but yeah, no, there's a lot to learn about that game and, and, and you can actually, if you play it differently and you go off the course a lot and you, you drift off the course, um, instead of trying to make those really tight turns and just kind of get frustrated with it, you actually just allow yourself to drift off course and go through like the little villages and stuff like that and do a lot of jumping, which Sonic can do that little boing, boing jump, you know, uh, this, uh, you, you can actually get quite good at the game and, and uh, you'll end up seeing that it's about more of like the kind of race platforming and like uh finding all the hidden stuff you know than it really is about being a, a kart racer or anything like that but this isn't a sonic r uh show i i just want to mention that 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 uh at a passing glance though yeah sonic r like i said i thought it was i thought the game was ass okay so i i had the same opinion that most people did um but yeah so if, if I could just like okay. time travel a little bit uh, again and just go right back to like 97, 98. Yeah. Uh, if I took like an unofficial, unscientific poll of the neighborhood, there's mm -hmm. like um, three PlayStation kids, a couple N64 kids. 
and one teenager with a Sega Saturn who was like, you know, five or six years my senior or something like that. Yeah. Uh, who only used it for the sports games. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's... I, did, I don't remember seeing any saturation in, you know, suburban Florida, which mm-hmm. is uh, my unscientific sample area at the time. But uh, obviously the sales figures kind of reflect that, mm-hmm. you know, the younger kids are, are great with the N64 because Pokemon had just come out and Pokemon Stadium was there and then obviously Zelda and stuff like that. And I don't think there was an American-centric killer app the same way that um, PlayStation had Final Fantasy and N64 had Pokemon um, and obviously like Mario Kart. But like uh, like for, for the younger kids, I think Pokemon was what was selling Nintendo at the time. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, um, n- it was crazy. There, it was there's game. nothing on the Saturn that's, that's like, I need to go out of my way to buy this system to play this game. Well, I and mean, the, yeah, the only games that come close are basically like arcade games that take an hour to beat anyway, which is not not great thing for for the parents to think about. Exactly. Uh, well, OK, so great point. And I would I would argue that, um, you know, for Sonic was that that franchise that would have sold it in a, in the U.S., you know, because at that time it was still at the height of its popularity. Um, of course, Virtual Fighter. Virtual Fighter was phenomenal in Japan. It did ama- It did amazing in Japan, and it did sell almost one to one with the console. Okay, yeah, so. but by the time we're we're talking about ninety seven, right? Yeah. Like, uh, what what aren't there other fighters already on the market that are? Wait, no, we're not talking about ninety seven. We're talking about ninety five here, right? At the at the Saturn's launch, you're talking about selling. Oh, the co- yeah, 95. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah So, 95. so when, did, when did Tekken and Dead or Alive come out? Right. Um, Dead or Alive came out in like 96, I believe, late 96. Um, Tekken, yeah, Tekken came out probably late 95 or early 96. See, Tekken was an arcade game, but then it got ported. Um, and and I'm not like a... I'm, somebody's got to correct me because I don't, I don't know the timelines on that stuff. But I just know that, you know, that's, that's the big argument is that we didn't have, there wasn't a game to sell Saturn one, one to one, you know, or, uh, you know, a packing game that really sold the console and it should have been a Sonic game. That's what the, that's what the consumers wanted at the time we didn't get. Um, but you know what, it what blows my mind is that, you know, Sega brags about having a $50 million advertising budget. And of course, they they blew like thirty million of it on that camp that campaign. But I'm just wondering, like, what if they spent that entire fifty million dollars on their own stock, right? On their own consoles, taking Saturn consoles and games, maybe like Panzer Dragoon, which was phenomenal as a, as a launch game, and maybe a stall or um, or maybe another three D game. I don't know. Bug was pretty fun actually. It wasn't the it wasn't the best platformer, but I mean, for back then, you got to put it in context. Um, but you take those, you take like a bunch of Saturns and you just stick them in college dorm rooms or you stick them on trucks and drive them around and let kids play them. Like imagine if they spent $50 million on, on that, uh, then kids would have known what a Saturn was, you know, but instead they did these like really, really crazy and obscure, uh, or avant-garde esoteric ad campaigns. And I mean, I love them now in hindsight, you know, for what they are, they're so corny, but uh, but it's just crazy to think that they had that kind of money to throw around, and they didn't use it for like a more like guerrilla campaign that kids would have actually resonated with. For all the of the good that it did, you know, uh, nobody knew. Like you didn't know about Saturn, I didn't know about Saturn. It was just crazy, crazy, crazy. 
So here's the thing, like the internet, well, actually 94, I, I keep thinking in terms of 97, and 97 and 94 are different. Yeah, 97, I mean, by 97, the Saturn was already failing. 97 was their Hail Mary year. They even said it in the, in the be- at the beginning of 97, it was like, we're going to have like all these games come out. So, so in the timeline, 94, it, Saturn's out in, in Japan, and it's doing amazing, right? Not May 95, Saturn's out in America, and it trips at the, at the start, you know, it trips off the blocks, gets going slowly, 95's kind of a sparse year. 96 is an amazing year, sales-wise and games-wise. 96, a bunch of great software came out for Saturn. 97 was like there, we're failing, the PlayStation is obviously beating us, and we have to throw a Hail Mary here. Um, they failed doing that, and then 98 was the It's Not Our Future year, and they just released a, 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 a last few games, and then it petered out. They pulled the plug on it. So 98... So, was, so, go ahead. Uh, I, I didn't mean to interrupt your point, because I'm going to go in kind of a different direction, but yeah, Neo Seed brings up a is that th- this, in 94, in the early 90s, I think throughout the entirety of the 90s, uh, console sales are going to be driven by parents, of children like uh, kids uh you know uh 25 and 30 year olds are are not yet going out of their way to purchase video games and i don't think they're going to do that until 360. Mm. so um you you're selling to the parents i remember at in around like the 96 97 time frame that's when i got my genesis which was a, a christmas gift from my parents um and that would have been probably like a 150 or 200 purchase at the time so uh, there, there's two things. The internet is, is not widespread, so you don't know what you're missing out unless the other kids in the neighborhood have it before you. Yeah. And if, if all the other kids in the neighborhood are in a similar socioeconomic strata as you, and your parents don't have money to buy a $400 console, but they do have money to buy a $150 console and a game or two, right? Uh, then you have a Genesis, your neighbor has a Super Nintendo, his neighbor mm-hmm. has a Genesis, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you guys are a generation behind with full libraries mm-hmm. and no reason to pick up the Saturn. And the Saturn, for any console in, in this kind of environment, you need a long lifetime. Mm-hmm. Like the Genesis was around for how long? What, like 88 to, 89. to basically 99? Uh, 88, I get, yeah. I thought it was like eight, eight, early 89, or maybe it was late 88. But all the way up till 97, the gen, uh, there were, they were putting out games for it because there was like NHL 97 on the Genesis. So, so you, you, for, for the environment where you don't have the internet, so you can't be like an annoying kid that says, hey, I want this thing because this is the new thing. I saw the commercial. These guys aren't running commercials on Cartoon Network because I was on Cartoon Network. I was on Nickelodeon at the time. I didn't see crap about Saturn. I hardly saw anything about video games except for Nintendo. So they weren't marketing it to the kids. They were trying to get after the teenagers, which mm-hmm. I think were less inclined to be interested in these games. I mean, they admitted uh, that. Yeah, they admitted that off the bat that they like their uh their whole goal was to go after an older audience and and also they even talk about in the white paper which we we go down a ways to talk about the white paper but um you know they talk about the fact that the entire video gaming public had grown up you know like they the the same kids that were the same you know young teenagers that were playing their Genesis games, you know, were playing like Mortal Kombat on the Genesis. We're now much older and had their jobs and disposable income, and we're going to be the ones that they thought would be buying the Saturn. Again, I just think that they just totally blew it on the advertising. Uh, you know, the Al, da- Al Davis. It was his idea to put all put that tower of Genesis machines and, and CRTs in that strip mall. 
uh, and and have the public just kind of go play it and just go go ape on, on all these Genesis and stuff like that and let and allow the organic kind of like word of mouth to filter through. Um, and it was like, what did they learn from that? Like they, they, they had all these great ideas advertising the Genesis and then they did this with the Saturn and it just was like, okay, you, you guys didn't learn from like all of your own successes. I don't know. It, it, it's kind of crazy. We got to move on though from the advertising and talk about, um, so this next article, this next is just the announcement. It's out there two pages and it's just talking about like, yeah, I know we said Saturn day, but, uh, it's out there now. <laughs> And as a result, here's the paltry library of games we have to offer you, basically. Um, and Bug is listed. So, so I, I don't know the, if I asked this yet, but, but oh, yeah. what was the launch deadline for the PlayStation? The, the launch deadline for the PlayStation? No, the titles. Oh, what, the, what the launch bought? titles for the PlayStation. Gosh, I think Ridge Racer. Um, <laughs> Ridge Racer. Let me go look this up. Please help me out because I do not, I'm not at a keyboard where, I mean, I got my mouse here and I got the browser, but uh, yeah, no, somebody, oh, to, it, it Toshinden. Like they had a, a, a fair number of them actually, like a decent yeah. selection. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, PlayStation, PlayStation was fine. It had a good, uh, it had a good impressive lineup for uh, Jumping Flash. Was that, a, was Jumping Flash? I can't remember if that was a launch game or not, but anyway, um, you know, play, PlayStation, they they just did almost everything different, you know, than the so way. They, it... they, so they had multiple fighting games. They had uh, a flight sim. Yeah. They had sports games, multiple sports games, multiple racing games, mm -hmm. uh, and a platformer, Rayman. Yeah. Yep. Which was two D. Now, I, and I've said this before. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but you guys have to understand. Okay, so. No, they didn't, you know, do a complete board redesign at the last minute. People like to say that Sega went and bolted on a processor at the last minute. That's not how PCB layout works. I mean, everything has to work together. So, I mean, but yeah, no, they did get wind of uh, PlayStation. They, they found out that PlayStation was going to go all in on 3D, that that was going to be their primary focus. They weren't going to try to do the 3DO thing where they're like, well, it's a 2D console that does 3D. They're like, no, this is going to be a 3D console. And all of our games are going to be focused on 3D, and we're going to have really good software development kits, and um, there's going to be good quality software, 3D software at home. But when they found out about that, they were upset, they were frustrated, and they did kind of have to say, okay, well, we really need to make sure that Saturn can push 3D as well, you know, so... Um, that's, you know, that that's when they actually added the, the VDP-1 that would have been able... that that made it possible to render a bunch of uh you know texture sprites you know basically warped sprites as uh polygons and of course you know there's emerald knows I mean, there's a lot that the the saturn is a, like a huge open box like if you know how to work the hardware there's a lot you can get done there but again they because they made that change they had to scrap the doc their documentation their whatever tools they had they had to redesign the software development kits you know and they had basically like a year to do that they had like be, uh from the time that they made those changes they needed to like turn around and create development tools um and they had to create new uh documentation on how everything was going to work together this new setup and of course they just totally shot themselves in the foot because they didn't have enough time as a result and then of course rushing the launch uh you know it, it, it's uh 
it's like developers just did not have enough time uh because uh again it came out in 94 in japan so you know they 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 at least got it to market there but it's like a lot of the a lot of the newer developers were having to like read all these poorly translated documents on the chips and try to figure out how all this was going to work they didn't have like a ready to use like turnkey solution um like like sony had built for their developers you know so that was like a big deal that was a big reason why um they needed to keep the saturn on saturn day so that folks would have enough time to be able to work all the kinks out of their software okay there, there is one point i'd like to make or maybe like a couple points so right. can i i just want to read off a list real quick mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. okay so in 1995 in the united states the top 10 best-selling video games in this order were Donkey Kong Country, mm -hmm. Mortal Kombat 3 Super Nintendo, mm -hmm. Killer Instinct Super Nintendo, mm -hmm. Mortal Kombat 3 Genesis, Donkey Kong Country 2 Super Nintendo, Mario World 2 Super Nintendo, mm -hmm. Madden Genesis, NBA Jam Genesis, and Super Nintendo, and Mortal Kombat 2 for the Genesis 2, as in a game that was, uh, at that point, I believe, two or three years old. Mm -hmm. That was when the industry uh, yeah, was yeah. hot for it was it was those pre-rendered pre-rendered 3D sprites, you know. Um, no, notice with, with with the with two consoles launching here and with the Christmas season, not a one of the fifth generation showed up in the top ten list. Uh, both the Saturn and the PlayStation launched too early. Uh, I, I would say, based off of this, just based off of my first impressions here, yeah. just that the PlayStation survived it better. Right. Which well, goes on to my, my second point, which is, along with those launch titles, the PlayStation actually had some Christmas releases, one of which being Suikoden. So mm -hmm. they're covering every single genre that anyone could be uh, interested in, including uh, they have they got a couple uh, RPGs in there. Mm -hmm. They have plenty of uh, fighting games, sim games, racing games, action games, platformers. They have everything they need yeah. in that year by the uh, holiday launch season. I wouldn't argue with you at all. I mean, in a nutshell, what you're saying then is that Nintendo made the right choice because they decide, decided to debut their, their 3D hardware in 96. And again, 96, by, by 96, all, all platforms were making strong showings in terms, of, uh, in terms of software. Developers were coming to grips with like what a 3D game should be, what a 3D platformer should be, or a 3D racer. And yeah, those, those early, you know, 94 and 95 games... There are a lot of growing pains there. Um, even reviewers would say, like, yeah, it's great, but, I mean, there's a bunch of geometry clipping and stuff, weird, you know, uh, draw in and stuff like that going on, and it just doesn't seem... It seems like everybody's just kind of, like, learning as they go, you know? And, I mean, if, uh, if you know, Emerald's work and uh, XL2's work is any indication, you know, given enough time, you can make... You can polish... You can polish something so much so that it even exceeds what professionals were doing. You know, given enough time, um, they just needed more time. And you're right. I think they I, did. I, so I, I would say XL2 has definitely exceeded industry standard as of uh, 97. Mm -hmm. um, I don't I, I'm, I'm using his technology, but I'm still missing a lot of features because I don't know the hardware well enough. Mm -hmm. I, I would think that it, n none of the demos that I put out have actually uh, matched the quality of most of the Saturn games. I think the closest I can aspire to would be like Robo Pit. 
which like, is a good game, yeah. but also very, very simple to make compared to the other games. It's pretty rudimentary. It, I don't even think it uses textured sprites, right? It, or textured uh, polys, right? Yeah, it there's, uses there's like flesh. There's textured polys in there, oh, but okay. not on the characters, which is bizarre. Well, I mean, your your game competitions are a good uh, analogy for, I mean, you've got deadlines, right? So if you're like, this game is going to be whatever it is by the time the de- game jam deadline is, or by the time the you know 27th annual contest you know if you're dealing with deadlines and of course they were you just got to get it out you got to ship it you know and it's like you know thing that's and then you get like games that discs that had code revisions because something got shipped out that was or something shipped with a bug you know <laughs> like like uh what was it in the hunt you King know croc. Had like, croc yeah croc had that crazy like and it only affected certain discs with certain machines, depending on like the the BIOS that that machine was running or what. It, it's crazy, but uh, the same thing goes with In the Hunt. There was like boot issues on that disc, and and that's not the only exception. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, throw in some deadlines there, and all of a sudden, um, you know, you it's just uh, only homebrewers have like infinite time, you know, to be able to refine something like that, you know. But um, moving along, because, oh, my God, like this, this is taking a lot longer than I thought. To talk well, I mean, this is the only thing we have to talk about today, yeah, no, right? That's so, I mean, well, I do have I do have one other thing, but we can run over. It's totally fine. It's totally yeah. fine. Um, web page. They were advertising their web page. Um, and I think the most ironic part about this is that there is no URL on here. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're advertising that you have a web page to I imagine this the press and you've not included a URL for them to actually access. I can imagine it would I have been thought like, that was uh, packed in on the disc. I thought that was the point was that you're supposed to open it on a computer or something. Well, maybe but maybe but this was a printed document. Simply click on your areas of interest. I think they're showing like the design for their web page because this was back when they were using like image maps i bet you if you went to sega.com in 1995 that's what you would have had maybe and it's possible because of course the alexa crawls they only go back to 96 and by uh the first if you go to the wayback machine and you look at the the first archive it's it's looks totally different from this but it's somehow similar they are using like the image maps and stuff and one item of interest that i thought was really interesting on here is this sega asylum uh, y- there's this dude in the bottom right hand corner who's like screaming and it says Sega, Asi- the Sega Asylum. Um, now that I did it. BBS. Sorry. I-, I-, I imagine that would be the, their working name for the BBS at the time. I, I suppose that's possible. I know, I know I-, I did an interview with Ken Lowe and he was tell, he did a bunch of mock-ups for the Sega underground which was supposed to be kind of like a, a subscription club, you know, that you'd subscribe to and you'd get demos and you'd get like special magazines and stuff. And of course, Sony had the Sony Underground and I think they canned, I think Sega canned that idea because maybe Sony got there first or something. But um, I wondered if this had, if this was like, you know, had anything to do with that. Here's the thing. If you type in online, you type in the Sega Asylum, nothing comes up. And I mean, for this to be something that they put in a press kit, you imagine they're they're wanting people to write about this. They're saying, okay, this information goes live. Here you go. This, you know, and so like the press would get a hold of this. I cannot find any references to the Sega Asylum. 
So if you guys are watching the stream and you want to like share that out and uh, help me detective that and get to the bottom of what the hell the Sega Asylum was, I would appreciate it. I've gone on the, I have gone on the news groups, uh, uh, the old like uh, Usenet groups, and I can't find anything there either. So that's kind of interesting. Um, moving right along, they talk about their launch games, Virtual Fighter. It's a three-page document. Check it out. Just talks about you know Virtual Fighter and its success in Japan. Um, Panzer Dragon. Obviously, I think that's probably the the most shining title of the the launch lineup. It, it did it did you know yeah it was a rail shooter, but I mean I would say it was more different and unique than and the music was amazing. It was probably the strongest title from the launch. Um, Daytona USA, of course, still a fun game to play, just a little uh, messy in the graphics department. But uh, bug now. This is where the confusion comes with Bug, because Bug was intended to be a launch game. It was done by the Tiger, t one of the Tiger teams, which was like the away, the Sega Away team. Um, it was supposed to be a launch game. It wasn't a launch game. It did not launch with the Saturn. Okay, so it didn't make the deadline of the Saturn's launch, but it was always intended to be. And David Warhol of uh, Real Time Associates, he even says that they knew, they got wind early about the the rushed launch. So it's like. It wasn't just like a last-minute thing. Uh, like, they were told, be ready in May. Of course, they weren't, but they, they made it within a month or two. Um, but they were one of the games that was supposed to be a launch title, which is why I think people still kind of think of it as a launch title. Um, but uh, but Nick Pandemonium has uh, kind of, you know, set it in its proper place, you know, where it falls on the timeline. Clockwork Night. I mean, it's 96, isn't it? A bug? Yeah. No, no, uh, no, 95. It, it, I, I believe it came out, uh, so like the, I believe it came out in like June, you know, so, uh, so Saturn launched in May of 95, and then I think it was like a, a month later, it, it kind of quietly made it on the store shelves, um, June or July, but, um, 95. Clockwork Night. Oh, okay, yeah, Clockwork 95. Um, ultimate Sports right. Machine. They talk about, you know, it being the Ultimate Sports Machine, and then, of course, the examples they give are like Daytona USA, which they already listed above. You know, they didn't really have any other. Oh, they had Pebble Beach. They had Pebble Beach Golf Links, uh, which is a sports <laughs> game. But I mean, it's I love it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Craig Stadler, uh, how can you go wrong? But I mean, again, seller. if you really do compare side by side the PlayStation's launch titles like you did and, and Saturn's, you you know how much of a difference it would have made for them to wait and actually go with the planned launch uh saturn day in in september um you know they brag about the hardware specs um and you know how many polys it can push on paper um i believe it you know I, i'll tell you what i i have talked to quite a few developers some of which are actually still on nda and i can't I can't say their names or what they worked on. All I can say is they're not allowed to talk publicly about uh, about this stuff because they're still under NDA. But they've basically said, you know, the Saturn is just kind of like a sandbox. If you are a programmer and you are good at assembly or you're good at getting to grips with, like, certain chips and, like, uh, doing, like, memory address adjustments and stuff like that. I mean, like, it's, it, it is kind of a sandbox with some limitations, some some annoying limitations for sure that you have to work around. But, I mean, you know, it, it's not like it's not like the PlayStation where, like, Naughty Dog had to, like, reverse engineer it in order to be able to break out of the cage that Sony had him in and, and basically, like, do some stuff that they wanted to do that they weren't supposed to do. Saturn is just kind of like, well, here's all here's all the chips, you know. Here here's how they work together. Um, you know, figure it out and have fun, you know. So, um, 
I've talked to some really excited, uh, some really good developers who were really excited about, uh, you know, uh, waxing poetic, I guess, about like those days of like working on the Saturn hardware because it was just kind of uh, new grounds. It was exciting. They were used to working with like, uh, you know, all the 2D stuff on the Genesis and stuff like that. And so the Saturn was just like, it depended on your attitude. If you were just like, oh, this is fun. Let's see how far we can push it. Kind of like XL2, you know? Um, and that's the way the lobotomy guys were. Uh, as In terms of a, like a Western developer, they were one of the few developers that had a really good attitude about the hardware. A lot of other Western developers were just like, ah, we want, we want you to, you know, spoon feed us. We want it to just be super easy, you know? Um, I mean, so so what was the dev kit for the PlayStation like? Uh, Saturn was transitioning into C from assembly on yeah. the Genesis. Yeah. Um, so and then you had so a lot of so you know David Warhol was one of those one of those launch developers. You know they talked about how like their first thing they built their entire engine from the ground up and they used assembler and they didn't or they used assembly and they didn't ha use a C compiler because there was a performance bottleneck. Um, and then with their second game, Bug 2, they actually did go in and write a really good C compiler, and they transitioned the entire engine over to C. Um, and it was doable, but again, uh, there, it was, you could always squeeze more performance out by going in assembly. It's just, it took really long, and then it was harder to port, you know, um, because it was just so niche. Uh, whereas the PlayStation... You know, first of all, the hardware just had built-in, you know, on-off toggle switches, essentially, for like, okay, you want to enable this effect? Just check this box, and you can enable uh, transparencies, or you can enable Gorad shading on this object. It was just, like, hardware-based, um, built right into the SDK, you know? Um, it would be almost like using, a, like, an end-user... From an end-user experience, the developer would be able to create in there, much like you do... In uh, in something like Joe Engine, I would say almost maybe maybe that's not a good analogy, but I mean, you know, or or um, or even like Unity or something. There was just so many more tools, and uh, and again, I'm talking from a layman's perspective because I'm not like Emerald. I'm not uh, a developer of any kind. I I I know some Python and stuff like that, but I I don't make games or anything like that. But I can honestly say from what I've heard and the folks that I've talked to is that. PlayStation was just, it was just more, it was just much easier. Uh, and uh, it didn't require any knowledge of assembly or hardly any at all. You could literally code games in C or C++, you know? Um, Wait, I, I don't think they had C++ on the PlayStation. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking, of, I was thinking of PlayStation 2. I was thinking of PlayStation 2 with that. Um, that one I might. But no, no, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> but for but, PlayStation, but I mean, it was C. Just, just like a Sega had a different mindset at a time. Like their arcade people, I think, were all assembly people, yeah. and they're used to like wrestling with hardware. And uh, that is I what think I'm that's what yeah. they base their expectations on. That's what I'm talking about. Like th th this time being such a volatile time in video games, everything was moving so fast. There were uh, okay, like if you weren't paying attention, you would miss something. Like, um, and and that's where it's kind of funny because, so you're absolutely right with. It was nothing new for a programmer to design a game in assembly. That's what they would do on the Genesis, you know? What happened was, uh, what happened was there was just a lot of new, um, games were becoming bigger. The industry was becoming bigger. It was making more money, and so game productions needed to become bigger, which means that 
uh, developing houses needed to bring on larger staffs in order to be able to make these games, you know, um, because the games were becoming more complex. So it wasn't like a one or two man project anymore. It was like 10 people or maybe 20 people. And as they as these development houses would bring on new people, well, a lot of these people were young. They didn't have good assembly chops, you know, they, so they needed like kind of dummy software or dummy development kits for them to be able to like get up and running really fast, get stuff going really, really fast. And that's one of the brilliant things that Sony did. Probably one of the most brilliant thing that they did is say, we're going to make a system that is super easy to develop a game on and get something that looks decent going. And, um, they really made it. They re Sony really did make game development more accessible, I would say, and easier to do. But at the same time, well, they they created a they created like a, a a scenario where it was like a lot of third parties didn't want to have to put in that extra work um, that that would normally be you know par for the course. You know, it would just be expected. Um, but at this point, they were like, "Well, here are my choices. I can." I can wrestle with this hardware and I could create some really cool stuff, you know, uh, but it would take, you know, a longer time to turn it around and, and then it's got a lower install base and I might not even make my money. Or, you know, we can go with this super easy uh, console with like this, you know, these uh, already built out development tools and we can create something that is going to have a huge install base. And we'll, you know, the, the PlayStation from a developer standpoint made sense from so many angles, you know. I would I would say that Microsoft is probably the one that did the best job at making the developers' lives easier. No kidding. If I recall correctly. Oh, I mean, well, because yeah, they had, DirectX, right? Had, uh, DirectX and XBA support, I think, yeah. directly on the original Xbox, right? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, even by the time. So, even by... Um, you, so, you're not wrong. I mean, absolutely. I mean, the Xbox probably was one of the easiest consoles. I mean, even, even the, the Dreamcast, for that matter, was way easier to develop for than than the saturn but uh but well, the yeah cast was uh was windows ce and like the the chips i think were supposed to be you had the option uh, you had the option to what? go that route it was windows ce was an embedded option but a lot of uh a lot of programmers didn't use it at all a lot of programmers used uh you know sega's proprietary engines and, and proprietary uh, graphics libraries but if you decided to go the ce route you could create a game that was easily ported, you know? So, um, for example, Sol Soldier of Fortune, it's a PC game, right? They were able to easily port it over to Dreamcast using the CE, the embedded CE. Of course, there is some, there is a, a level of uh, performance degradation, you know, by, by going the CE route. I, um, from what I understand, Sega's proprietary uh, libraries run faster on the dreamcast than than the embedded ce Makes but at sense. least it, it's an it's an easy path so you'd get a lot of games that could be easily ported and half-life was an example of that of a game that used the embedded ce and didn't see completion you know but i mean it Wait, i thought i thought the half-life game was fully ported just not released well it wasn't released because they weren't hitting their performance goals like it, it was oh. really chugging it was a really low frame rate you know and i mean i imagine that uh folks could probably get it working even better with some finesse you know some time and finesse but yeah that was essentially essentially that was it is that 
you had to you had to take a lot of these PC games and kind of like lower the settings, you know, in order to get them to run good on Dreamcast. But essentially, they'd be almost uh, quick and dirty to port over to Dreamcast. Um, let's see. Um, okay, I'm sorry. I was reading the comments. TechSpeak glossary. This is just funny that it exists. Uh, so again, they're informing the the press. You know, here's what here's the words you can use in your articles to talk about our stuff. You know, code processors and MPEG. oh, they're trying to sell the MPEG already. MPEG, yeah, MIPS. You get the MIPS, which was a uh, uh, mil- millions of what interactions per second, right? Um, that's what you say when you can't say flops because you right. don't have a floating point, uh, a floating point uh, operation. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this is a really long document. You guys should check it out just for giggles. I mean, because some of some of the terminology on here is like obsolete, or at least it's just you know. But but it's it's just funny. You know, they're they're teaching the press how to how to uh, use all these new terms. Back then, you wouldn't take any of this for granted. I mean, now it's funny because we take all this for granted. But back then, it was like a lot of this was people learning about this stuff for the first time um saturn starfleet so yeah they're talking about like the different tools that were available alias cross products snasm um of course Cygnosis developed their own uh kit which had like a c compiler um and a cart cart on the top you had the cart dev units you had those big sophia systems so they're just talking about like all of their development products that were available at different price points um they talk about the third parties that they had on board. Uh, and I don't believe that every single one of these actually ended up uh, shipping games. Let's see. How many of those got scared off by the time they hit Dreamcast? Right, right. So Absolute doesn't ring a bell. Acclaim got it. Yeah, they did a lot of... Acclaim was... They were the kings of cheap. <laughs> I, always, I always joke about how Acclaim would use... Uh, so Acclaim would use just the cheapest print production they would use cheap inks that fade over time they would use cheap paper that oxidizes and turns yellow they'd use cheap little plastic inserts for the u.s long boxes they were like those bubble blister uh blister things that they could just basically shit out you know um and uh so you know an acclaim release whenever you see one uh in terms of saturn long boxes because they're just so cheap um but they save money, so that's what happens when you're cheap. So what I don't get is, is that they cut off like three quarters of the library, but they let as much shovelware through as they did. Yeah. Like we, we didn't get Grandia, but we got Crow. There are so many there are so many choices. There are so many things that happen that just make me go, What? What is going on? <laughs> I don't know. I can't tell you why. I, I can't explain it. Um American Technos. American Laser Games. Oh, that's like the that's like the Mad Dog McCree. American Laser Games. They did Crime Patrol, which uh, never got released on the Saturn. Um, yeah, Crystal Dynamics, of course. Huge on uh, huge on 3DO and did some stuff. Data East, uh, Digital Pictures, of course, Digital Pictures with uh, all of those FMV games. Disney, like Disney was making uh, titles. Disney. Hmm. Maybe it was like. Maybe it was like was Di- that just like the, uh, the the Mickey Mouse Donald Duck port? Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good one. I, I'm, yeah. Anyway, I mean, these are all the people that. Again, you have to understand. Uh, this is kind of Sega bragging, 
That's what this is. It's a sheet saying, look at all the people we have in our stable. Yeah, a lot of these people were like whole, held over from the Genesis, you know? So yeah, D Disney was huge on the Genesis, you know? It's not like every one of these names were actually like, oh yeah, we're going to make games for you. They're just like using their they're basically name dropping and saying this is who we have of course like a lot of these people would actually jump ship and go work for sony you know because cheaper I mean, phillips yeah. phillips at this time is making cdi right like are they going to be making games for the competition yeah i don't know where do you see phillips phillips Under oh yeah P? phillips okay hmm, i don't know uh it's possible that uh it's possible that like burn cycle was gonna be released on the side. Maybe they had some ports planned. Maybe they're like, oh, our CDI is failing miserably. Maybe we can make some of our money by uh, porting some of the software over to Saturn. I don't know. Uh, out there with the away team, they talk about the away team. Read this document, guys. Check it out. Uh, it's cool. It, it's a good insight. They had uh, they had like six different tiger teams. David Warhol calls them Tiger Teams. That, that's the, the term that they use. But then when it came to actually publishing the games, they called it the Away Teams. Um, Real-Time Associates was one of those uh, development houses. It was referred to as the Sega Away Team. But, but yeah, they had these teams that would come in and they'd like wine and dine them and they'd have them to the Sega headquarters. they show them everything behind the curtain and they'd say, okay, you guys are going to be a part of our launch lineup. You're the chosen few. Um, and Real-Time Associates was one of those with Bug, where they are technically like a third party, but they're brought into the fold, so so to speak, so they're kind of like a second party, I guess you could say. Nobody really talks about second party developers, but I guess it's kind of like uh, Retro Studios with Nintendo, how they have such a close partnership. Um, defining the next generation. Sega Saturn, defining the next generation. This right here is the infamous white paper. Uh, which does, uh, it's just, uh, it's so much braggadocio. Uh, <laughs> it's so, it's, how many pages? It's just like 14 pages of bragging, which is, it's just, it's funny. It, it's, it's, I guess it's funnier when you consider hindsight, like how wrong they were about a lot of the stuff. But, uh, but yeah, you know, they talk, they're talking about like, uh, we did it. We did a podcast episode about this. So if you guys want more information on this, we actually like read through the entire white paper, uh, in uh, season one, I think it was, it was either season one or season two. We did a whole podcast episode about the, the white paper and we read through it and we kind of, uh, mystery science theater did, I guess you could say <laughs> we kind of lampooned it, um, or, or, you know, toasted, <laughs> roasted it, <laughs> I guess. Um, you guys should, could check that out. Um, but artwork request form, and that rounds out the, the whole document that with a, you could, uh, mail in, I'm sure this doesn't work anymore, but you could mail in and request artwork for your publication, which would be amazing if I could get my hands on some of the artwork that they had. But I imagine if you were like official Sega Saturn magazine or something like that, yeah, you could fill this in and you could say, yeah, send me everything you have for a bug or Panzer Dragoon. I'm going to do a huge expose or something like that well thank you very much peter malik for spending your own hard-earned money on this and uh scanning all of these in 600 dpi and putting them up for the internet to enjoy in perpetuity we appreciate that and uh and moving on to another this this is this middle one I think is just talking about the show that we did last week. But um, moving on, I'm going to try to make this short and sweet because we're already over time. Um, if you guys haven't checked 
if you guys haven't aren't aware of twitch this not the modern streaming platform but the old uh the old TV show. It was on a cable news uh, network called uh, Intro Television. Um, are, 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 did you ever watch this back in the day, Emerald? Uh, no, 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 no. Okay, have you watched any of these episodes? Uh, I, th th I'm literally hearing about this for the okay. first time right okay. now. All right, good, good, good. Well, that means maybe other people are hearing about it for the first time. So, um, there's a YouTube user who goes by the name Zyrul. Um, and it literally is youtube.com slash Zyrule, Z-Y-R-U-L-E, who back in April started uploading these episodes of this show called Twitch. Um, this was a video game news and review show that was just dripping with that 90s edgy MTV grunge aesthetic and cool kids reading from teleprompters. Um, I would say that this would inform and lay the groundwork for future shows like X-Play or Attack of the Show, but I mean, it was like a, ahead of its time. In the UK, you had uh, Bad Influence. That was another show you had that I would say was would be comparable. But anyway, this was an American show. It was done by a guy named Monty Miranda, who like uh, he directed this and kind of like designed the whole aesthetic and, and vibe at the age of 26. And he teamed up with a guy named Brendan Horan for production. And they had a local Denver, Colorado band because it was a this was a Denver show out of Denver, um, a local Colorado band called Jux County, who did the 90s alternative theme music. Well, so yeah, fast forward to 2021, and you got this guy on YouTube, Zyrul, who essentially, he was a kid who recorded the show on VHS, and he recorded all 21 episodes. And the cool thing about this show from the get-go is that it's incredibly Saturn-friendly. Like, um, it was early enough in the Saturn's life that they hadn't passed judgment on the console yet, you know? It, it still was quite viable. And you know, they have plenty of 3DO and PlayStation coverage as well, and a little bit of 32X sprinkled in there, but there's a hell of a lot of Saturn coverage in this show. And so Pat kind of joked uh, a few shows back, he was like, you know, when he's finally finished uploading all of the episodes, it would be nice if we did like a master Saturn cut, where you just literally did all of the Saturn-related content. And so I took him up on that, and I put together our own Saturn cut of all 21 episodes so if you watch this uh it literally is like let's see two hours and 43 minutes of saturn retro saturn content you know reviews they're talking about netlink they're talking about the backup cartridge they're talking about the steering wheel they're talking about like the eclipse pads like third party peripherals they're reviewing the games um it's it's awesome so if you have like three hours to just sit back and watch some retro uh, Saturn content. I highly recommend you you guys check out this Saturn cut. And then, of course, if you like this, every single bit of footage that you see here came from Zyrule. So all credit, all credit to Zyrule for uh, preserving this game history. Uh, you know, capturing everything on VHS and then uploading it for everyone to enjoy over this past summer it's been amazing every sunday he would upload a new episode so huge shouts and love to zyrule go uh he's linked several places in this article and there is a twitch playlist that you can go to here where you can see in their entirety all episodes and now 
if you watch the unedited episodes, you're going to get everything. You're going to get 3DO. You're going to get uh, no Nintendo 64 because I think, yeah, I think the show ended right before the 64 launch. But you have a lot of PlayStation reviews, 3DO, Saturn, 32X, Genesis. There's even Genesis and SNES in here. So um, it, it was a great, fun show, and um, there's a lot to enjoy there. And I also included Monty Miranda's uh, YouTube account, as well as the IMDB for the show, and uh, and Jux County's Bandcamp page. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> so anyway, yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> Sega Retro View is like who doesn't have three hours for the best? I, I you know, that's that's I agree. Anyway, so Emerald, it, it, it you know I highly recommend you check it out. I might. So I, I'm I'm just curious. <laughs> uh, when did Tech TV launch? Tech TV. I mean, I could Google it. I don't know. You're talking about G4? G4 Tech TV? Oh, Tech TV was before the G4 merger. Oh, right. No, Tech TV. You're right. So Tech... It was 98. So, yeah, uh, this this is way earlier than that. Yeah, and now, did the Computer Chronicles have anything to do with Tech TV? Or were they completely unaffiliated? Um, I have no idea what the Computer Chronicles are. You're You're kidding, right? You don't, you don't know who the, okay, you got to check out the Computer Chronicles. You totally dig it. I, if you go back on the, like, uh, Internet Archive, look up Computer Chronicles with Stuart Chaffee. That, there was a show that premiered in, like, the early 80s and went all the way to, like, the late 90s or maybe even early 2000s, talking about Macs, PCs, graphics cards, everything. I mean, it was just... This sounds a lot like Lazy Game Reviews, except actually current for its time the current current for its time lazy game review oh you're you're talking about like clint wait lazy game yeah lgr lgr yeah yeah Yeah. clint he so yeah i guess i guess the computer chronicles computer chronicles is very similar to tech tv tech tv i think they were they were both really polished shows they were professional shows you know produced in a studio uh with you know with you know high profile guests coming on to talk about stuff you know they had people from apple uh, i don't think they ever had steve jobs but they had you know folks from apple they had folks from ibm and and intel um but yeah you definitely check it out this is you know very similar to that it, it, this is i would say this is more like x play this is like the 90s you know mid 90s version of you know what x play would become and then of course x play they had like two hosts you know that would kind of banter off of each other um, which was kind of a new thing that they did with this. It was just, you know, cl- you know, quick, cl- uh, quick cuts to like a different host reading from a teleprompter. And it was always really corny and very edgy and had a lot of attitude to it. So, I mean, if you're, you, you know, <laughs> if, if you like that kind of thing, then it's definitely worth your time. If you don't, then, uh, you know, maybe it's for somebody else. But either way. Either way, it is uh, important because of game history preservation, you know. Um, there's a ton of codes, a bunch of tips. Somebody even said the other day, they were like, I've owned Panzer Dragoon. Um, um, I've, I've owned Pan- the original Panzer Dragoon for the entire its entire life, and I didn't know that there was a level zero. And, and that's one of the things they tell you is how they tell you how to enter a certain button combination to access level zero so that you can basically, uh, it's like a practice level. Um, yeah, they did an interview with Dave Perry. Um, they didn't, um, I don't remember which episode it was, but you guys can, uh, scroll through and, and figure it out. Um, they did an interview with, um, they did an interview with the Bygone Dogs, which was, uh, Sega's, 
you know label artist sega had their own music label for a second there and they wanted to like try to try to make their own music for games and so they had an interview with the bygone dogs who did the soundtrack for uh cyber speedway in addition to the title track for gen war so uh yeah there's there's a lot of really deep cuts in these videos so you guys should check it out um but yeah, that's this this whole show. I don't have I really have much time for for uh, show and tell. <laughs> I guess I could. I'll show you guys my my latest pickup. A little while ago, we did a uh, we did a pinball episode on the podcast, and this was one of those games that I was pleasantly surprised with. Pinball Graffiti. Uh, it's not the best pinball game on the Saturn, but it is. Uh, it it's like a fully three D engine pinball game, and I yeah, had a lot of fun with. Yeah. I'm sorry. Part of the, the the case got keyed out. I know, I know the green. Yeah, part of the ramp is green there, so it gets keyed out. But anyway, it is a it is a good game. I like it. Uh, Sega Lord X even uh, gave it a fair review. He said it, it was much more enjoyable than he expected it to be. Um, I also have another item here that I was going to show folks. Uh, it's my police knots that Ben Boyd uh, did for me. One of my prized uh, Saturn possessions and. Uh, inside it comes with uh two it comes with like the game and then um the x ex some extra content there's like a poster in there um pretty cool stuff um this is this is my attempt at trying to trying to do what pat does with all of his weird his weird saturn peripherals um i got a uh i got like all of the sega flash demos to go with my uh, here, I can take the I can take the uh, browser down so you guys can see. Um, if you guys happen to collect Sega Saturn magazine, you know that it, they came with demos. <laughs> uh, the green one's getting keyed out here, but uh, yeah. So these are all the Sega Flash demos and my Panzer Dragoon demo um, housed in this nice little Sega Flash case. Um, you guys can get one of these. Uh, ben Boyd, uh, who. Um, he goes by Radcheck in our Discord, and then he's also on uh, Facebook. You can just find him as Ben Boyd, but he makes these, and I think they're nice. Nice to have. And then the last thing I was going to show you guys is this, my VR Temjin. Uh, let me see if I can hold it back here. It's uh, from uh, Virtual On Cyber Troopers. It's like the, uh, the, the character, the little action figure. But I haven't. I, I I have not opened it. It's still completely boxed. Never opened. Has the seal on the back, like the Japanese game store seal, and it'll probably stay that way because it's just kind of like a kind of like a display NRFB. piece. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> uh, but with uh, yeah, uh, I guess I guess you know it's time to say thank you to all of our patrons. Thanks for all 22 of you watching the chat and sharing it out. Um, I'm going to go through and list off our patrons. Um, and we've got Emerald Nova, who happened to join us on the stream. Thank you, Emerald. Uh, uh, C. Wynn. We, uh, we got Derek Pescarella, or A-Team. Ian Keg, Ivar Wernerholm. Johannes Fetz. Super Dimension Sentry Orgus. Tanuki Trev. Young Money Sweden. Mamdu Mab... Madar, I can never say your last name, Mamdu. <laughs> um, Memphis, we all call you. Private Eye, Humanoid70, Alexander Miranda, Luis Viant, Anthony Randazzo, 
Night of Dragon, Nikita Sol- Sokolov, Shadow Mask. Thanks, Shadow Mask. Uh, Tectonic Improv, Tom McComb, Man of Stone 17, Faux Macho, Craig Jolly, Rab Mac, Joe Sega RPG Fan, Jeremy Roots, Ricardo Mello, Bernard's Pink Jelly Bean, Barry Finlayson, Retrospectors, Shouts to Retrospectors, Jesse Hurley, and Rowan Dinked. I think I said that right, Dinked. Um, thanks every single one of you for contributing, for, uh, supporting us financially. We really appreciate your support. Um, I can't believe that there's that many of you guys who wants to support us, but we are humbled by, uh, by your support and we love having you guys in our discord and talking to you all. Um, and, so, uh, Dave, on, yeah. on the note of support, can yeah. I just make uh, one last quick more point? Absolutely. Um, this, this is this is not uh, a Shiro thing. This is, uh, uh, I, I think, our, our tentative uh, team name right now is Team Starlane or something like that. Oh, yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. and I are doing a quick push this weekend to try and submit for Retro Platform Jam number three. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't actually properly read the rules. Uh, I don't know how exactly this works, but we will be trying to uh, submit a playable demo of Blue Skies ahead of the Saturn competition for this uh, game jam for this Sunday. So uh, I don't know if people can can come in and vote for us. Uh, go look up the retro platform jam number three. It's on itch.io. Mm-hmm. It's like the first thing that, that pops up on Google. If there is a way for people to vote for us, I would appreciate some support. Uh, I mean, don't like spam their Discord or anything like that. But on that note, because we are submitting there, uh, there should be a playable demo sometime this weekend uh, right. for Blue Sky. If anyone wants to load that up, it's just going to be like a basic flight simulator. Uh, it's supposed to be like a Pilot Wings soft port or something like that. Xenos can talk about it more. But uh, I'm just saying that now, one, because on the off chance they let the random community members vote, I would like some votes. And two, now that I'm saying it out loud, I basically have to get this done. <laughs> there you go. That's a that that's a a good uh, that's a good uh, <laughs> you know uh, you're giving yourself a deadline there. I mean, you already had a deadline, but now you really have to uh, put your money where your mouth is. Um, so yeah, no. Uh, could you tell could you tell folks what that URL was again? Uh, it's just search for retro platform jam number three, and the very first thing that pops up on Google is um is that itch.io link okay. retro um, platform I'll, I'll jam the, yeah and and, st- and maybe stick a link in the live chat would be great um so yeah you can't do links in the live chat oh you can't do links in the live what? chat even if you spell it out dot com <laughs> yeah just just retro platform jam three got it and and the first the first itch.io link you see should be the first link you see that's it if there's a way for people to vote for us, I would appreciate some votes. I don't know how it works. I didn't really read the rules. I just saw that they would uh, accept our entry, so I, I ended up just deciding we're going to do that. That sounds great. Okay, awesome. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I mean, At I'm the excited very minimum, for... you guys should get uh, a plain game this weekend. Yeah. Of, of questionable quality. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> but hey, you know, uh, it, it, you guys are pioneers. You're, you're making it happen. <laughs> Um, I'm sure that it'll be more polished by by the game competition, but um, no, that's that's cool. I'm I'm glad. Uh, so retro retrojam.com, I believe, is is the no URL. no 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 no. It's it's just uh, crap. Now now I already forgot. I'm sorry, Neo Z was putting it in. Yeah, 
Just look up Retro, Retro Game Platform Jam 3. Yeah, Retro Platform Jam 3. Just look for that. You'll find it. And um, if you can vote, do vote. If you can't vote, then just download the game, I guess. Sounds good. Da vote. Don't, don't. <laughs> definitely vote. If you download the game, then vote. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. don't know that, I don't know that voting is open to the general public, but we'll find out. Okay, well, if you can vote, do. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Okay, cool. Okay. And uh, yeah. I'm getting like a, I don't know why, but I'm getting like an echo coming in anyway um okay well with that with that said uh i'm gonna roll credits and thank you everybody for joining us for for this uh kind of running long shiro show where i kind of had to fly solo but we all miss pat and we uh, look forward to seeing him next week we're gonna probably do something for halloween or something i don't know but until next time just remind you all to play your sega saturns and uh and join us in the discord for some lively saturn conversation over the week and peace out